Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Nevermind the Bar Charts. Uh, with myself, Mark Pack, and my softly spoken co-host... It's Whispering Stephen Tool. Apparently, apologies listeners, I am far too quiet. So I am going to speak really loudly into the microphone in the hope that I come a tenth of the way towards the decibel power of Mark Pack. This is obviously a cunning wheeze to generate more audience feedback, because we get <laughs> quite a lot of feedback. Thank you to everyone who gives us feedback. Well, it has to be said, I think 90% plus is about the level of your voice, Stephen. Okay, so. okay. Point taken. Anyway, moving on. Um, we're recording this shortly after the result of the parliamentary by-election. The historic the, result of the, the Newport West by-election. Well, you, you, you laugh. <laughs> I, I do. I think we should maybe take the result a little, more, little bit more seriously. Because it was really striking how there was a swing towards the Conservatives from Labour. But now, both main parties lost. Both, both parties voted so down. Labour vote went down about 13%, yep. the Tories by about 8%. That's right. So there was actually a net swing from Labour to the Tories, which if you think about the current state of the government, mm-hmm. that is a pretty remarkable result, which maybe isn't earth-shattering on the national scale of politics, although I suspect it would get rather more attention if it were a constituency in London, perhaps. There's a little <laughs> bit of maybe London snobbishness in some of the political media coverage. But I think it is perhaps quite an interesting indication of the state of Mm. politics. It does feel like, although politics is nominally quite dominated by a two-party system in England and a sort of three-party, well, even different version of a two-party system in Scotland, um, actually Labour and Tories are in quite a brittle situation. Uh, Obviously, we should praise the Liberal Democrat result in the by-election. The Liberal Democrat vote share doubled. (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, doubling didn't quite take the party into deposit-saving territory, which shows so how far... So 2.4% in the end? Uh, so from 2.2% to up to 4.6%. OK, OK. Um, okay. So obviously, on that basis, we yeah. are looking forward to dozens and dozens of Liberal Democrat MPs elected <laughs> as the party doubles its vote share. I mean, this gen- was, I mean, just in terms of Newport West, it's uh, this was Paul Flynn's old seat, mm. and it was... Uh, a leave voting constituency, mm. not massively, but it was about 56% leave, I think, something like that. Um, so uh, there was speculation beforehand that uh, as to how Labour's position would play out. There was kind of a default assumption that I don't quite understand that the Conservatives wouldn't do very well, just because the national picture is... That was a pretty good default assumption. Well, a government though? in the mess that the current well, government is in Yes, but the Conservatives in, are in badly. a mess, but if you look at the opinion polls, yeah. the national opinion polls show that Conservative support is ridiculously resilient. Are you suggesting the national opinion polls accurate? <laughs> I'm suggesting that we shouldn't ignore them. Indeed. No, uh, just so as a slight digression, actually, that is a really good point, that there, it's a very common uh, quirk of political commentary that when people don't like what the national opinion polls are saying, they find all yeah. sorts of reasons to diss them and say, oh, that's not really how things are going to turn out. And yet, as you say, I think quite rightly, Stephen, this Newport by-election result pretty much bears out that national political picture yeah. as painted But we did see polls. a UKIP... Um, uptick, yep. so they got 9%, mm-hmm. even though they've now moved towards the kind of BNP, English Democrat, kind of mm-hmm. far-right uh, baiting sort of um, political position. But they still recorded a pretty good result from their yeah. point of view. Um, so, I mean, you are right, it is more interesting because it does suggest that you do have, uh, with the Conservative position being a definably pro-Brexit mm-hmm. position, even notwithstanding... Mm-hmm. Theresa May's announcements and cross-party talks and all the rest of it, they are the definably pro-Brexit party. And it does maybe hint that Labour's trying to straddle all positions stance that Jeremy Corbyn has been attempting to triangulate 
um, for the last uh, year or two is maybe reaching the limits of what Labour's mm. electoral coalition can sustain because it wasn't just the yeah. Dems doing a little bit better. Um, there were a, a Renew, uh, the, uh, the anti-Brexit party did okay, uh, got a couple of percent, Plaid polled just above us. So there were, there were three or four mm. and the remain... Green, and the Greens, oh, and as, Greens well. as well. Sorry, they were, yes. In fact, particularly with, given the Lib Dems were on 4.6%, it's quite remarkable how many candidates... The Liberal Democrats finished ahead of. <laughs> it was quite, but but when you add up the green, you know, the Green vote, uh, the Lib Dem vote, the Plaid vote, the Renew vote, there was a lot of people yeah. in one way or another saying, "I'm not happy with Labour. I'm not happy with the Tories," and UKIP isn't the answer for me. Yeah, and so it does feel like there's a big pool of people out there who could, and maybe we'll see it in the May local elections, maybe we'll see it in the European yeah. Parliament elections, if we have them, maybe we'll see it play out in other ways, but it feels like there's a big pool of people there who are looking for something different from what's on yeah. offer at the moment. And as you say, it does point, perhaps, hopefully, for the uh, Lib Dems to the breakdown, once again, perhaps, of two-party mm. politics, because you know, in the 2017 election we saw this massive reversion from what the trend had been of, what, 90% or so um, votes, mm. sorry, not quite 90%, 80% plus votes going to the two main mm. parties, Labour and uh, Conservatives. Uh, whereas back to the 2010 election, 2005 election, it, was, it wasn't even touching 70%. Mm. So it may be that we are starting to see a more a greater fragmentation. The opportunity for the Lib Dems, I guess, then, is that they uh, can benefit from that. The risk is that the benefits are going to be spread around uh, and, and under first past the post in particular might, for many yeah. of our elections in Britain that that could be quite destructive yeah um, it and I think as you've set it out that's almost the, the challenge for whoever the new leader of the Democrats and will, will when when will there be a new leader because obviously we had Vince announcing yeah. that he would stand down after the local elections once Brexit was sorted yeah. um, now the first of those conditions will remain um, <laughs> The second of those yeah. conditions of Brexit being sorted looks like it's yeah, well, unlikely at the moment. I'm still to be keeping my eye out at the bookmakers for what odds I can get for Vince being leader still in 2047 um, on that basis. <laughs> Is he going to be like Speaker John Burko of, you know, having announced yeah. a, a resignation yeah. months and months ago, still uh, continuing to be imposed? I, I think the reality is likely to be that there will be a leadership election promptly after the May local elections. Uh, as you've rightly highlighted, there's all sorts of caveats around that because we might be in the middle of a general election. It is a hell of a risk for the party, isn't it, that uh, given a general election might happen at any moment, I mean, I think it's yeah. on the balance of probabilities not likely to happen um, mm. this side of uh, autumn, but still, who knows? Uh, and we would be throwing well, isn't it lucky a new leader right into the... Yeah, but isn't it lucky that one of the changes I got made to the party's <laughs> internal rules a little while ago was to ensure that there's a provision for cancelling a leadership election if it gets overtaken by an unexpected general election? Okay. So, okay. on from the rule book front, we're covered. I mean, as you say, there is obviously a risk. Uh, I think, though, there are a couple of upsides to taking that. Well, one upside to taking that risk is simply if you hold off not doing something because of uncertainty you can easily end up not doing it for several years and then end up thinking, just why on earth... Are you talking about Brexit now or about the Lib Dem leadership? Either, <laughs> either in fact. Is, but, but, uh, and that's the calculation that, in a, with slightly different things at stake, the ERG are having to make at the moment yeah. as well. Uh, so that's, that's one reason. I think the second, a second reason, though, for it being sensible that the Lib Dems to take a gamble on 
an early leadership election, even though there might then suddenly be a general election, is the big challenge for any part, any Lib Dem leader, and indeed probably other sort of third, fourth, fifth party leaders, is to get public attention and to mm -hmm. break through. And therefore, being a new leader with a little bit of that honeymoon interest in you, just at the time there's a general election, it's a risk, but it's a risk where there are very clear upsides to yeah. it. Um, and I think the other the other reason to take the sort of the gamble is that if we have European Parliament elections, um, they might therefore happen in the middle of a Lib Dem leadership contest. And I think actually that will work out quite well. It might seem a bit odd not to have a party leader during a, a national election like that. But as people won't be focusing on which party leader is going to be prime minister in that European Parliament elections, and the party will yeah. have two or three MPs working over time to secure every bit of coverage that they can, that could turn out quite nicely. And um, one thing that we do know pretty much for sure, I would say with 99.9% .9 certainty about the Lib Dem leadership election, is that one of the candidates won't be Norman Lamb, who was a candidate for the, for the party uh, leadership in 2015. He, he yep. lost to Tim Farron. Uh, but he's obviously been in the news this week because I guess there's also a question, will he still be a Liberal Democrat MP Indeed. at the time of the leadership yes. election? Yeah. Who would have predicted that Brexit would see the Lib Dems as one of the, in percentage terms at least, most split parties uh, of all? So we started with 12 uh, Lib Dem MPs. Percentages. Uh, we started with 12 Lib Dem MPs. Uh, Stephen Lloyd resigned the whip before Christmas in order to support Theresa May's deal, which was a promise he'd made during his uh, campaign in Eastbourne, uh, a heavily leave uh, constituency. Isn't even Theresa May is not really supporting Theresa May's <laughs> deal now. I do feel well, a little bit sorry for Steve. I could understand, given the commitment he made, why he felt that was what he had to do. But yeah. it probably hasn't quite turned out how he expected. I don't, to be fair, I don't think Brexit's turned out how lots of people expected, um, not least Theresa May. Uh, so we've got uh, Stephen Lloyd having uh, left, so that's one out of 12 down. And then, of course, as you say, Norman Lamb this week uh, was got in a bit of a, a sort of spat with um, his own party mm. uh, because he was... Uh, one of uh, a couple of Lib Dem MPs, I think, who voted for uh, what was billed as Common Market 2.0. This is the Nick mm. Bowles plan, basically to keep um, uh, keep the UK within the single mm. market and the customs union. So it's the softest of all Brexits, which um, I guess in the immediate aftermath of the 2016 referendum is what many of us thought would be a quite likely outcome, but was quickly ruled mm. out by Theresa May. So uh, he voted for that as a least worst option of Brexit and perhaps also recognising that his constituency is also quite a heavily leave mm. patch of the country. Uh, it didn't go down well with some Lib Dem members and uh, as a result he, he's, uh, he's seriously displeased, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I think it's um, not just the reaction of Lib Dem members but also the... You know the, the decision of his fellow parliamentarians yeah. To, yeah. To, to to vote the way they did. That is obviously so he it was has a split vote, wasn't it? Because he wasn't so um, Leila uh, Moran well, across the across, yeah, across uh, all the different votes. There was quite a complex pattern yeah, of yeah. voting. I think I looked at the leadership contenders because mm. that was the bit I was interested in. So uh, so Leila <laughs> Moran official politics. Um, well, to be fair, politics. that does cover three out of the eleven MPs. It's uh, <laughs> so Leila Moran abstained on the soft Brexit options. And voted, they all voted for the um, either to revoke in, in yeah. preference of no deal or to have a people's vote stroke confirmatory yeah. referendum. Um, but there was a bit more of a split about whether people abstained mm. 
um, on the soft Brexit options of Ken Clark's yep. Customs Union or Nick Bowles' Common Market 2.0. Um, Leila Moran did abstain, but both uh, Ed Davey and Joe Swinson mm. voted against it, uh, and obviously Norman Lamb voted for. So we did have this three-way split even amongst the uh, 11 yep. Lib Dem MPs, which, uh, if anyone actually paid much attention to the Lib Dems in the national media, would have not been a great look. Um, but perhaps is representative of the general confusion that lots of people have about what's the right stroke least worst way of approaching a Brexit vote. Yeah, and I, I think where Norman's vote was quite different, I think, from other people's other people's votes, was I think Norman's position is essentially concessions should be made now to try and come up with a soft Brexit route, whilst what hold sort of Lay, Layla and Joe and Ed and other Liberal Democrat MPs views together is rather a sense of saying to Brexiteers, you've decided this is the course you want, you sort out between yourselves what you want, and then let's, mm. let's see where we're at, rather than, look, you Brexiteers just cannot agree amongst yourselves what you want, therefore we should come in and help you sort it out for you. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, I think there is the difference between sort of Layla's vote and Joe and Ed's vote is a relatively small tactical one. But it feels to me, at least, there's a much stronger, almost emotional difference between that. We're staying out of this. Brexit is sort yourself out. And Norman's approach of no, this is just such, such, so chaotic. We all have to pile in to try yeah, and, try and yeah. sort it. I mean, it's an interesting one for me because, uh, I mean, as you know, I'm uh, slightly more distanced from the Lib Dems than I used to be. And one of the reasons is uh, around our post... Just like you and the microphone. Uh, is around... No, I'm not distanced at all from the microphone at the moment. I'm uh, practically ingesting it. Um, but one of the reasons why I'm a little bit... Uh, have been a bit disillusioned is because I felt, as the party that was the first one to put forward an in-out EU referendum, um, yes. the first mainstream party to do so, and it therefore bears some responsibility for getting us to the mm. state of affairs because we made it uh, a credible proposition... Um, we then, uh, if we wanted ever to position ourselves as a party of government, would have had the responsibility of implementing that referendum result. And I don't think we ever really faced up to the uh, outcome that we had set in motion. So, you know, we said we were in favour of an EU referendum, and then the moment it happened and it didn't give us the result we wanted, we looked at ways of overturning it. And, and that felt to me a wrong approach. Uh, and I, I, I that said, can I just put the contra mm. view, which is that I do understand from a party point of view why, if you are lifelong passionate pro-Europeans, you can't then easily just turn away from that. Mm. And I think it, some of the criticism that the Lib Dems and indeed uh, the independent groups for Change UK got this week for not having mm. proactively supported soft Brexit options was unfair because I don't think any party uh, has to feel that it should put itself out of business by voting for something um, given the strength of feeling we know there is amongst party members and indeed amongst those who still identify with the Lib Dems that it is a purist pro-Brexit party yeah. at the moment and, and anything and, that watered and that down crucially, could, was, could threaten its existence. You know, the parties made that repeatedly clear ahead of sort of yeah. referendum yeah. And, and election voting days. Yeah. Um, so I think it is very, it's perfectly respectable for a Liberal Democrat MP to say, look, everyone should have known Obviously, in practice, the public don't always know what parties really stand for. But you know, everyone could have known that the party is a ve very strongly pro-Remain. Me now having been elected by voters and taking very strongly pro-Remain courses, fully in line you know, with yeah. with what you might reasonably expect in a yes. democracy. I the, the the bit I think in what you said that I slightly disagree with is is how the party 
might have reacted differently after the referendum result mm -hmm. because I think had we had a competent government seeking a to implement the referendum result with a form of Brexit that acknowledged how small the margin was and therefore to put it at its simplest a prime minister who worried about the 48 percent rather more in Jacob Rees-Mogg rather less mm -hmm. I think we would have found Liberal Democrat MPs probably at crunch votes sort of voting against or abstaining but essentially saying that we don't agree with this but fair enough there was a referendum result you're doing you know decent job of implementing the referendum result and actually most of the angst from the Liberal Democrats wouldn't have been campaigning against that being implemented it would probably be arguing amongst ourselves as to how long we should leave it before we say we want to start having another referendum or a general election that allows us to overturn the result and so I think there is a big difference between um, the relatively passive route of saying, okay, as this legislation goes through Parliament, we'll oppose it because it's not what we agree with, versus actually trying to be part of a national campaigning coalition that is actively trying to defeat something. I take that point, and I, you know, I do think it's a it's a reasonable one um, to say that the way in which Theresa May set off with Brexit and ran with it um, was so antagonistic to. Uh, the narrowness of the result and indeed to reality that uh, she's made it much more difficult for people who might have been persuadable to come on board. Mm. So I do take that point. That said, I think there is still a, uh, a there is an aspect of the Lib Dems where we put process over outcome, mm. where uh, and you you know the, the fact that we are so concerned with constitutional obsessed one might say with constitutional reforms is part of that uh, and. To me, the referendum uh, has always been a bit of uh, that kind of uh, way of trying to dodge the European argument. And so one of the reasons why we coalesced around the idea of a referendum way back when, in 1992-3, whenever it was, Maastricht was going through Parliament, was because it sort of allowed us to say something to both leave and mm -hmm. remain voters, that they weren't obviously called that then, uh, to say... You know, yes, of course the uh, Lib Dems pro-European, but don't worry, it's, it, it's, uh, ultimately it's down to the people. And whilst that's, a, in one sense, a respectable argument, and a, you know, especially for a party which has Democrat in its name, it does then pose you the problem if you are going to be responsible for implementing it as to how you then do it. And, uh, you know, obviously the, these things have been rehearsed before, but in terms of even a soft Brexit option, you have uh, out of the single market would mean the Lib Dems uh, being uh, as a pro-immigration party against the free movement of people, which is a bit of a problematic thing. And then if you're out of a, uh, a customs union, um, you've got then the problem of how you actually have economic leverage in a globalised world. So there are all sorts of problems with a soft Brexit, mm. uh, and we accused Theresa May of kicking the can down the road. I think for a long time the Lib Dems were trying to kick the can down the road of being a full-throated pro-European party by using the referendum as a bit of a deflection ploy. Yeah, I, I guess there's two bits of that I would disagree with. One is, I think actually what you're describing is an issue not so much to do with the party going for overly focusing on process, but placing too much on a particular electoral tactic. Because I would actually draw almost the opposite conclusion in terms of the importance of process than you from recent political events, which is surely the government's experience in the last couple of years of trying to do something on Brexit is an example of how people don't pay nearly enough attention to process. And if you think about the what little paltry debate there was ahead of the triggering of Article 50 and the mm -hmm. starting yeah. of this two-year possibly slightly extensible, maybe very extensible period, there was almost no proper debate or discussion about sure. the process. Sure. So that said, I agree with you that that particular tactical device 
which stretches back through you know liberal democrat winning parliamentary by-election campaigns in the sort of 90s of you know emphasizing look you might disagree with us on europe but it's okay we'll have a referendum that was a you know a tactic that has has uh, spawned a huge knock-on sort of set of, of questions and dilemmas there is though in a democracy you know a not unreasonable a not unreasonable position to say look just because an election might come up with a vote of some sort might come up with a result that we don't like that's not really a reason to avoid saying let's give the people a vote i mean on that argument you would almost say well let's abolish general elections because i mean isn't this really daft that liberal democrats want there to be general elections which might then result in a parliament that's full of illiberal people yeah okay but i think there is a difference between selecting one particular issue over another and uh, you know the reason we were the first uh, national party to campaign for a referendum an in-out referendum is because the party was a bit split, weirdly, uh, and, uh, and so just as the Conservatives uh, sort of leapt on it uh, as a, an electoral ploy in order to dodge a decision, and lots of people now rail against David Cameron for doing that, we were the first party to do that. Um, it's just that we didn't have the power to actually do anything about it at the time. But anyway, I think, you know, I'm happy now because we've actually discussed Brexit and the Lib Dem position on <sighs> Brexit. We've got six episodes into this podcast and I've finally been able to have a Brexit discussion and get a couple of my uh, points off my chest about uh, the issues I think Lib Dems haven't faced up to. But it does raise the issue, mm. and it's something I know you wanted to discuss, uh, being some Lord Ashcroft polling yes, indeed. Um, that was released this week. And it does, I think, have a bearing on both the Newport West mm. and indeed the um, Brexit stuff that's been happening, because it, a lot of it comes into this issue of how it's all thrown up the cards in the air of the political parties and how they stand mm. and where voters identify with them. So do you want to just uh, talk yeah. a little bit about what you think is interesting? So, so very briefly, the top line with the Ashcroft polling is that he gathered lots of data on where people's values are. So asking people their view, their opinions on different questions, and therefore you can sort of put them on that classic political quadrant, sort of thinking about sort of left-right and also liberal authoritarian. And when you look at where the voters are, and then when you look at where the parties are, there are two big areas of opportunity for one or more parties, either new parties to appear or existing parties to grow. One is the one that I guess people like both of ourselves tend to be more interested, stroke hopeful about, which is essentially that uh, centre-left, liberal, pro-European, liberal democrat, stroke the independent group, so, stroke. So Lord Ashcroft describes that as uh, New Party A would emphasise community and society, be happy with current or higher levels of immigration, want more action to tackle climate change, support aid to poorer countries, promote rehabilitation of the criminal justice system, strongly support rights for same-sex couples and favour international cooperation. Okay. So, so, I mean, so you know, very core Lib Dem, but also I'm sure there would be lots of people in the Greens or parts of the Labour Party or some of the nationalist parties or in the independent group who would read that and similarly think, oh yeah, this could be us. So there's that gap, uh, which at the moment is not being filled that well. Um, although interesting, if you add together Lib Dem and independent group vote shares in polls where mm -hmm. both are asked about, actually the combined vote share is up into the mid-teens, so maybe we will begin to see that gap, gap filled. But then the other gap, which is the much neglected one, is essentially the UKIP but without too much of the racists gap. Yeah. <laughs> to caricature it slightly. And it is this sort of anti-European, uh, authoritarian in many ways, but also quite in favour of a fairly sizable state and public services. So it's sort of hate Brussels, mm -hmm. love the NHS, and sort of quietly ambivalent about people who are a bit different from you. 
Yeah. Now, the interesting thing I, I thought about uh, both those mm. parties was, as you kind of say already, the gaps don't actually... I mean, they are, they're, mm. they're filled already, mm. aren't they? You've got the Lib Dems, Stroke, um, you know, some of the nationalist yeah. parties, Greens, um, Independent Group, etc., uh, all kind of within that mm. sort of arena. Uh, and then on the um, uh, Hate Europe, Love the NHS group, you have UKIP, Stroke, Nigel Farage's Brexit party, probably. Um, Which has managed to lose, lose two of it, two, uh, two leaders yeah. in, in short order, and therefore is now back to being Nigel Farage <laughs> as leader of the party. Um, so the Farage party uh, and, and the UKIP um, stroke racist party. So, although ironically, the the Farage party, the non the supposedly non racist version of the UKIP party, has lost two leaders for <clears throat> racism. of racism. Yeah, you're picking holes now. But it, uh, so, um, the question that was posed in my mind by this is: okay, so there are parties already representing these views. It's not like um, there is a gap yeah. in the conventional sense of no one whatsoever mm. stands on a manifesto that yeah. puts across these values. There are uh, in the Lib Dem corner there's quite a few mm. competing over it uh, and then you have I suppose the Conservatives at the moment um, actually do fill quite a lot of that void as we mm. again perhaps saw with the Newport West Can I interrupt with my favourite political also fact? As well. Go on. Normally we would say that a political party that has increased its vote share at five general elections in a row is really on quite a roll and we would be talking about how mm -hmm. they are you know maybe reshaping the future of British politics which is the party that has increased its vote share five general elections uh, in a row? I assume it's the Conservative Party. Correct. Yes. It's quite remarkable yeah. that for such a sustained general election trend, none of the political punditry is about how we're all about to become a Conservative country, yeah. etc. Anyway, Sorry, back to yes. your point, Stephen. So, uh, and away from that nightmare. <laughs> so my question around the Lord Ashcroft polling is, it, I mean, it's kind of interesting uh, to see mm. that there are these mm. um, uh, areas mm. where when you ask the public what values do you identify with, they come up with ones which are actually quite Lib Dem friendly. That's hopeful. Um, it, but it does pose the question, okay, so if 20% plus of the country that he identifies do identify with those values, why aren't we getting them? Now, I guess the answer, at least in part, is that uh, the overlap with the Labour Party uh, uh, is such that it's quite hard to compete, um, or has been, across parts of the country. And that then probably leads us to the biggest issue, at least for the Dems, which is that people don't just vote for things, they vote mm. against things. I think one of the quotes yeah. in the Ashcroft polling when you dig down mm. is that, um, well, I just vote for whoever will beat the Tories round here. Yeah. And in, you know, 90% at least of England anyway, that will be, uh, that will be the Labour mm. Party. And so you have this default, if you don't like the Tories, you vote Labour. If you don't like Labour, you vote yeah. Tory. And the Lib Dems did get success at sort of yeah. breaking into that, you know, 300 first yeah. and second places in 2010. And UKIP in their own way to, and had UKIP a similar well, success yeah, on the indeed, other side yeah, of the equation for quite. a while. Um, but then uh, the two-party mm. um, uh, duopoly mm. kind of enforced itself again and uh, you know the 80% plus mm. who voted for those two parties means that in vast ways of the country, if you don't like Labour, you vote Tory. If you don't like Tory, you yeah. vote you vote Labour. And how do you actually break through so the, that the, stranglehold? The, the conclusion I would draw not just from the Ashcroft polling, because I think his findings mirror other people's findings, like the excellent work of Paula Surridge, uh, for example. The conclusion I would draw is it shows just how fragile both the Labour and the Conservative position is, because in both cases they have big chunks of support at the moment, which uh, is are made up of people who aren't really that happy with how that party is representing them. Mm -hmm. And there is a coherent space 
for a, a different party to sweep up a big chunk of their support and support from other parties and from some people who don't vote at the moment, etc., to therefore be a real challenger to that Labour Tory duopoly. Now, and, and actually there's a risk of that happening to both of those parties on both the, the Liberal and the illiberal side, the Lib Dem and the UKIP mm. side, as it were, although obviously there are, as we both mentioned, other parties on both, both sides as well. So that, that, to me, reinforces the point about just how fragile the yeah. current makeup of British politics is. But brittle things don't always break. Um, and that's the big, the big yeah. unknown that we have. But thankfully, time will pass and we will see what happens. Yeah. We might even have to talk about Brexit and its implications on the, another podcast in and the future. And the European elections, if, uh, if as seems likely at the moment, yeah. they uh, do actually happen, then that will be a potentially great opportunity for the Dems, as will the local elections. But more of that perhaps next time. So thank you very much, as ever, to everyone for listening. Hopefully Stephen's voice was moderately audible <laughs> this time. As ever, please do uh, subscribe if you want to automatically receive future versions of, of this podcast. You should and be able to wouldn't? find us. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Exactly. Who wouldn't? Subscribe now. <laughs> and also, by all means, rate us, leave a review. You're probably bored sick of hearing podcast presenters say that at the end of podcast. The evidence that actually ratings and reviews get you extra listeners is pretty thin, but... Stephen and I can they attest, presenters like yeah. this. So rate, review, subscribe, and um, if you're a Liberal Democrat, go campaign. If you're not, please put your feet up for the next few weeks. <laughs> Thanks for listening.